Years and years ago, uh, my friends and I sat very uncomfortably in our church sanctuary on a Sunday afternoon, listening to our youth director wax lyrical about the importance of witnessing. <coughs> witnessing. And I can remember sitting very uncomfortably in my pew, struggling to figure out what in the world she was talking about. Witnessing? When I heard the word witness, my mind immediately jumped to dum dum, bum 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 bum. You know, the theme song from Law and Order. <laughs> Witnessing to me sounded like what you did when something went wrong. And so we listened and listened until she announced that it was time for us to share our testimonies together. Testimony was another word that for me sounded like it belonged more in a courtroom than in a church sanctuary. But slowly she pulled out a microphone, a microphone connected to the sound system, and she put it out in front of us all to see, and she waited for one of us to testify. Now, in many churches, testimony, offering a witness, is an integral part of worship. It's an opportunity for someone to come forward, take the microphone, and share what God has done for him or for her. But for us, this privileged group of high schoolers attending youth group, our testimony sounded a little bit more like this. You know, a few weeks ago, I was really worried about passing a test that I didn't study for, so I asked God to help me, and I actually passed. I remember wanting a baseball bat when I was younger, and I guess God had something to do with it when I opened one up on Christmas morning. You know, we had a really beautiful day yesterday. Thanks, God. One by one, we listened to these rather trite and cliche renditions of all that God had done for us. And after each person finished, that microphone stood there waiting for the next person to offer their testimony. The last person to go was a girl in my grade, a girl who usually remained completely silent during youth group. She was one of those people that participated with the minimal amount of effort necessary, even though she looked like she hated everything we did. So she was the last to go, and she slowly made her way forward to the microphone, and she said very quietly, I don't really know what to say, except that I don't have any friends. But being here with all of you, talking about God every week, it makes me feel like maybe one day, I could have friends. I don't really know what to say except that I don't have any friends. But when I'm here with you talking about God, it makes me feel like maybe, maybe one day, I could have friends. To this day, I remember seeing the solitary tear run down her cheek. I remember the silence that filled the sanctuary after she gave her testimony. Testimonies, these times of witness, when we usually have them in church, they're an opportunity for people like you to name and claim what God has done. And of course, some will always experience the grace of God through a good grade, or through a wonderful afternoon, or even through a perfect Christmas present. But real testimonies, the whole truth that points to God's wonder in the world, are based on the location and the experience of being on the margins Proclaiming the truth as we see it functions as a catharsis for those who are sharing it and those who are receiving it. In testimony, our burdens are shared together. I knew relatively nothing about that girl in my youth group prior to that night. We had gone to elementary school together. We had gone to middle school together. We were even in high school together. 
But it was only on the other side of her three-sentence witness that I actually took the time to get to know her. I learned about her struggles at school, the bullying she experienced. I learned about medical problems and her experience of anxiety. I learned all sorts of things about her because she took the first step to proclaim the whole truth of her life. What I read for you a moment ago uh, talks a lot about testimony and witness, and the word in Greek for witness is martia. It's where we get the word for martyr. Christians bearing witness for their faith have often been martyred for doing so because they were willing to point to God about as the source of their being. They were punished and sometimes even killed. And today we say things like, there's a war on Christianity. And in other places in the world, that's undoubtedly true. There are people who are killed for being Christians. But here in America, that doesn't happen. So much of what Christianity has become here is made to feel normative for everybody else. Few of us, if any of us, will ever be persecuted for our faith. That's not the kind of witness, not the kind of testimony that John talks about. The witness John talks about is the kind that could change everything about everything. It requires a vulnerability that leaves most of us frightened. Today, of course, is Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. This beloved Sunday that always comes in the spring. And to be very honest with you, this is without a doubt my least favorite Sunday in the year. It's my least favorite Sunday in the year. Now, don't get me wrong, I love mothers. The mother of my son is here. My mother is here. My mother-in-law is here. My grandmother is here. I love mothers. But I don't love Mother's Day. In fact, I'm about as close as you can get to hate in terms of Mother's Day. And the reason I do not like Mother's Day, first of all, I promise Jesus never says anything about the need to practice Mother's Day in church on Sunday. It ain't in the Bible. The second thing I don't like about Mother's Day is the way it makes women feel who are not mothers. I can't tell you the number of women in my life who have expressed to me the utmost shame and fear and anger that they experience on this Sunday every single year. Think about it for a moment. On, on Mother's Day, this is my first Mother's Day here. I don't know what you all have done in the past, but usually we make all the mothers stand up, we clap for them, we give every mother a flower. It's, it's nice, it's good, but think about how that makes women feel who are not mothers. Or women who never could become mothers. Or women who never met a spouse that would enable them to become mothers. Or women who never wanted to be mothers in the first place. Think about people who don't love their mother. Mother's Day is this strange paradox in which we implicitly and explicitly say to women, motherhood is ideal. And if you say that, everyone who doesn't fit that paradigm is hurt. It's strange to me that in the life of American Christianity, more people will be on ch in church today on Mother's Day Sunday than on Easter Sunday. It's true. More people go to church in America on Mother's Day than on Easter. And it hurts more women than you can possibly imagine. And most of those women 
whether they come on Mother's Day or they avoid it altogether, it is very difficult for them to bear witness to how the church makes them feel. It's very difficult to testify to the truth of their experience because it's often disregarded. Because we often don't listen to women. In a world that is ruled by heterosexual white males, anything other than that feels less than worthy. That's why testimony, real, true, deep testimony, comes from the margins of life, not from the places of power and privilege. They come from those who are made to feel less than whole. Because that is always where the power of God is made manifest. And so it's good and right for us to listen to people from the periphery of life. Pretty much anybody but me. And I recognize the irony in being the one to tell you this. But we need to listen to people who do not look like me because they are connected with God in a way that is closer to the incarnation than people like me will ever know. In this scripture we read, the testimony of God is Jesus Christ. That is what God says to us through the microphone. My son is all you need to know. God becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. It is the incarnation that is the testimony of God. All of the Bible, it culminates together in this divine witness of God in Jesus Christ. All along the way in Scripture, God places people in particular places to help reveal to God's people what's really going on, but it comes to its zenith in Jesus. Sometimes we drop the word incarnation, we use that without really confronting what it means. God is humbled to the point of joining humanity. The Son journeys from the far country to us and becomes one of us. There is nothing so profound as knowing that God, with all of God's wisdom and power, chooses to take on flesh and dwell among us. The whole of the Bible is made manifest in Jesus, who drank the same dirty water and walked the same dusty roads and slept in the same fragile places as us. God comes to the margins of reality and lives among the margins to draw attention to the truth. The whole truth. This is no sermon or message about being a better person or tapping yourself on the shoulder for any number of good deeds. No, this scripture today, it beckons us to know that God joined the creation. That God became a creature. Because God testifies. God witnesses. And we know what God says because we know Jesus. Jesus is God's witness in the flesh. Jesus is the greatest of witnesses, and yet, in Jesus, we discover that greatness is found in lowliness, that power is found in humiliation, that strength is always in weakness. Because Jesus, as the incarnate Word of God, chose to drink our dirty water, and chose to walk our dusty roads, and chose to sleep in the same fragile places as us. God chose to go to the margins of life and not to the places of power. The Son of God entered the far country of our existence, experienced our life as we do. Jesus suffered, Jesus died, and because of that, the Son of God brought eternal life. That is the whole truth of God's testimony. It's this simple yet profound sentence that we have been given eternal life. 
It is that sentence that empowers a young teenage girl to say, I have no friends, but I think maybe I could. It is that simple and profound sentence that gives voice to too many women who are made to feel voiceless on Mother's Day. It is the power that is present with all who speak from the margins of life. Because in Jesus, we realize that life is not the end. That's the most important thing you will ever hear. That life is not the end. That you have been given eternal life. Because you have that, you can say and do all kinds of courageous things here and now. Things that could get you martyred. You can say these things with assurance because you know you have eternal life. Deep in your bones, you know that you can speak the truth, the whole truth, because what God has done for you. There was a a young woman who found out that her church was going to get an interim pastor, a pastor who was only going to be there for a handful of weeks. And because she was a, a good mother, she brought her children to church every week, not knowing at all what the sermons were going to be like. And so she gathered children in her little pew, and they sat there dutifully. And the very first Sunday, the new preacher preached a pretty bad sermon. Pretty bad sermon. Uh, but she was a good Christian. She was a good Christian, and she kept going. She kept bringing her children every week. And for some reason, every week, the sermons got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I know that's hard, because you all don't know what that's like at all. (laughs) The sermons just kept getting worse and worse and worse, to the point where she could no longer, in good faith, bring her children to worship. And so she said to her children one Sunday morning, We're not going to go to church. We're going to have church on our front porch this afternoon. We're going to have church on our front lawn, our front porch this afternoon. So she gathered her children on the porch. They sang a psalm together. And she took one sentence from the psalm and she preached a sermon, about 15 minutes. No theological training whatsoever. She didn't get to go to Duke Divinity School. She stood up and she preached a sermon. And at the end, they sang another psalm together. Week after week, they didn't go to church, they had church on their front porch. And week after week, more people in the community heard about what was happening. And so someone would reach out to the young mother and they'd say, Hey, do you mind if we come have church with you on Sunday afternoon? And the weeks passed, and the months passed, until at its very height, 200 people were gathering on the lawn of this woman's house to hear her sing and preach a sermon and sing one more time. 200 people. And the more people came to her church in her yard, the less people went to church until there were zero people in church on Sunday except for the pastor. That woman, that young mother, her name was Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley is the founder of Methodism. The year was 1720. Susanna Wesley lived in a time where women were forbidden from speaking in church. She lived in a time where it was forbidden for women to learn from the Bible. She lived in a time where for most women they were forbidden to even learn how to read. And she had church on her front lawn. Two of those in attendance were John and Charles Wesley, perhaps the greatest preacher and greatest hymn writer the world has ever known. John and Charles Wesley started something that we now call United Methodism because of what their mother did on the front porch. We forget sometimes 
we forget sometimes that the disciples of Jesus got in a lot of trouble in the beginning, not because of anything they said in particular, but because they included women. It upset the tradition of the time. It's what got them persecuted. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, most of the earliest churches met in people's homes, women's homes, overseen by women, women preachers. And so it is in the great irony of this world that women are treated as less than men. Whether it's the year 1720 or the year 2018. And yet, without women, none of us would be here. And more importantly, without women, the church would not exist. The whole truth of God's grace is that power will always be found at the margins with women. God always chooses the lowly to bring down the mighty. God uses the ordinary to make manifest the extraordinary. God came to us in Jesus, and everything about everything changed forever. So on this Mother's Day, I say to you, thanks be to God for women. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. So back to my story about how United Methodists like to vote on everything. As I said earlier, uh, last annual conference, all of the representatives from the Virginia Conference, we sat together and we voted about whether to add the word gender to uh, this paragraph in the Book of Discipline. Effectively trying to protect women, clergy, from being um, unfairly treated. Nothing about uh, equal pay, nothing about that at all. I mean, that's kind of what it's getting at. It was just to add the word gender. And it took us nine months to tally votes from all over the world. And this week it was announced that the provision failed to pass. Friends, it is 2018. And the global United Methodist Church could not agree that male and female clergy should be treated equally. It's 2018, and the global United Methodist Church could not agree that male and female clergy should be treated equally. So I, I share this with you because obviously part of my sermon is about Mother's Day. Uh, but part of it is my utmost shame and disgust and frustration with the denomination I call home. Because unlike me, many of my female clergy friends had to get up in their pulpits this morning and preach a sermon, even though their denomination said to them explicitly this week, you do not have the same worth as your male counterparts. Here in Virginia, I'm not talking about across the world, here in Virginia, Female clergy of equal number of years served of equal education on average make over $10,000 less than their male counterparts. There is a gender wage gap in society in general. There should not be one in the church. And we as a global denomination said no. I love the United Methodist Church. I really, really do. I love John Wesley. I love Charles Wesley. I love Susanna Wesley. But it's very hard for me to reckon with the fact that in the scripture we read that male and female have been created equal in the eyes of God 
is not made manifest in the way we govern our church. So pray for the United Methodist Church. And perhaps even more importantly, pray for female clergy. We have one that came from our church. Her name is Robin B. Miller. Longtime member of our church. She served down the road from here. She's awesome. If you know her, call her. Call her today when you get home. Tell her she is loved and has worth. Because the rest of the church said the opposite. And this is even more perplexing to me in the fact that most churches come up here to a table and share a meal every week or at least once a month. And we say that all are welcome here. That all of us are sinners in the eyes of God, and yet we're all welcome. We're all invited to this thing, that it is given to us without cause. And this week we said that women are here, and men are here. So no matter who you are, let us at least stay here at Coast Ferry United Methodist Church. That male or female, you are equal. That you have worth. That you belong here, because you belong to God. So come and feast here at this table. The great leveling of all things. Because here in God's sight, we are neither male nor female. We are neither slave nor Gentile nor Jew or free. Here we are all one. And the church should be leading the way. So let's pray. Most merciful God, you saw fit to gather us here together on this Mother's Day, and perhaps it's better to call it Women's Day. Because, O oh Lord, without women, none of us would have heard about the resurrection. It was women who went to the tomb that first Easter morning. It was women who oversaw the very first churches. It was women, and will always be women, who help us to see what the resurrection really means. So, Lord, as we are invited here to this place, we pray that you would help us to see and to know that we are made and bound to one another. That here in this meal, neither male nor female, we are made one with you. Amen.